0: Amen. Good morning, River Rock Bible Church. How are you? Those of you who are visiting with us, my name is Charlie Turner, and it is my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at River Rock Bible Church. And this morning, we are in week two of a seven-week series called Seven. And I just want to share with you the passage of Scripture that this comes from. It's found in Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. It says, six things, in fact, Uh, The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among the brothers. Now, last week we started this series by looking at humility, and one of the things you'll notice in this series is that this passage lists seven things that the Lord hates but we want to be people who love what, God's lo- love what God loves and hate what God ha- hates. And so we want to learn not only what does God hate, but what does God love? And so we're kind of looking at this passage, kind of looking at the opposite things, because we understand that our, our calling as followers of Jesus is to walk through life in a way that shows God's love to the people around us. And so that's what we're going to be looking at as we go through this series. Last week, we started with Humility. And this week, we're going to look at truth. And truth is so important for us to be aware of. It's important for us to uh, have an understanding of truth. Because we live in an atmosphere that is full of lies. That is constantly pulling us to either tell lies or to believe lies. And so we're going to look at truth on two different levels this morning. We have to understand, first and foremost, that we live in the middle of spiritual warfare. We are in the middle of spiritual warfare, and just like modern warfare, there are two parts to every battle and every war. There's the air war, the 30,000-foot view, and there's the ground war. And so we're going to look at truth on these two different levels this morning, and we're going to answer three different questions as we look at that. We're going to look at the why. Why is truth important? We're going to look at the what we need to know, and then lastly, we're going to look at how do we walk in truth? before we do that, I want to just give you some examples. You know, we're talking about the air war and the ground war. A great example of the ground war is in my family, uh, we have a rhythm that we go through as, as a family on weeknights. We eat um, six out of seven meals uh, for dinner. We eat six out of seven try for that every week because mealtime is important for us breakfast is chaotic trying to get kids ready for school, but dinner time is the time where we get to slow down and we can actually make an investment in our kids. And so we, Amanda and I, have decided that as a family, we want to be pouring truth into our kids on a regular basis. And let me tell you, this is not rocket science. You don't have to have a degree in theology to make this happen. This is just very, very simple stuff. I mean, we're talking like five, ten minutes, where we just go through some things as a family. Uh, One of the things we do is we have Mission Monday. And so as a family, we've come up with a mission statement. And our mission statement is that uh, as the Turner family exists to glorify God uh, by being worshipers, witnesses, servants, and disciple makers. It's that simple. And so every Monday night, we talk about one of those things. What does it mean? What does it mean to be a worshiper? What does it mean to be a witness? On Tuesday, we have Teaching Tuesday. And so we take a little bit more time and we either teach a passage of scripture uh, or one of the kids teaches. They share what God is doing in their quiet time. And so it's real simple. It doesn't take a whole lot of thought to just open up your journal and say, hey, here's a thought that God, God showed me this morning. But one of the things that Amanda and I did a number of years ago when we, we went on one of our annual abandons where we just get away, we're just husband and wife, uh, we developed this set of family values that we are going to Share as a family, and that we're going to continue to pour into our kids. And I want you to see, first and foremost, right in the middle of that is the love of God. Because more than anything, we want to develop that in our kids. But you'll see here we have laughter, humility, courage, respect, integrity, generosity, and unconditional love. And so when we get to Teaching Tuesday, sometimes we pull out one of these values and we talk about them. But a lot of times we talk about these things just as we're going through life, things happen. And one of the ones that's really important to me is integrity. And it's, it's kind of sometimes an issue in our household, and I know this is hard to believe uh, because I'm a pastor, but my kids are actually just kids. I, I know, that's shocking. Like, they do all the same stuff that other kids do. And one of the things that we talk about regularly in our household, because it's such a big deal to me, is integrity. Uh, and along with that comes honesty. Honesty. And my kids, just like any other kids, anybody have little kids? Anybody have little kids? Do you remember the time you sat them down and taught them how to lie? No? You didn't have to do that? Well, neither did I, right? They just do that on their own. And so we talk to them about honesty and integrity and how it's so important. One of the verses that we use is Proverbs twelve twenty two, which says, uh, Lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but a faithful people he loves. And elsewhere in Scripture, lying is talked about as an abomination. And and everybody knows this. All kids are different, right? So we have one kid that that lies just because he's got this mindset of, like, there's now and there's not now. And so if I can lie and get away with it for, like, another 30 seconds, well, that's not now. So I'm going to lie about it now. And then we have others that lie because they don't like to come face-to-face with their failures. They don't like to acknowledge that I did something wrong, I messed up. And so they they lie or they tell a half-truth or or whatever it is, and it happens. And so that gives us an opportunity to talk about integrity. And in our family, we give trust. We give trust freely. You don't have to earn it. We give it, but you can lose it. And when you lie, you lose that trust that's been given to you. And it's very, very difficult to regain that trust. It takes time, and it takes consistency in telling the truth for that trust to be given. So that's just one thing. The other, that's the, that's the ground war, right, where, where we are tempted to tell lies. The air war is when we're tempted to believe lies. And parents, I hope you can all relate to this. Anybody have any kids that were afraid of the dark? Anybody? All right, so we, we had this conversation multiple times with our kids about being afraid of the dark, and I can remember with Evie, there was one point where she said she was afraid of the dark. She's our youngest, and I was like, what's, what's wrong? She's like, well, the devil's in the dark. I'm like, Evie, and this is probably where like, being a pastor's kid's a little bit different. I'm like, Evie, what you have to understand is that God is light. Jesus says he is the light of the world and when you put your trust in Jesus he lives in you you are a city on a hill which cannot be hidden you have the light of the world living in you and she's like you know all excited and jumping up and down and like going crazy that Jesus is with her and for a moment for a moment she believed that little lie that the devil was in the dark and that isn't that exactly what Satan does to us? He wants us to believe that when it's dark, when we can't see him, when we're going through something difficult, that God is not there. And for just a moment, she believed that little lie, and it took the truth coming into her life to understand that that wasn't reality. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to look at these different things, but first and foremost, we have to understand why is it it's so important that we understand uh, and that we that we understand truth. Why is truth so important for us? We've got to understand that we live in a post-Christian culture. Our country was founded on a Judeo-Christian ethic, uh, which looks to Scripture and says, this is truth. Scripture is truth. What this says is true, and it's black and white on what's true. What's happened over time is that our country has shifted to a post-Christian culture to become a secularism, a culture of secularism. And in secularism, it says there is no such thing as truth. Truth is a moving target. How many of you have heard the phrase lately, well, that's your truth? That drives me nuts. I hate that. I hate that phrase. Like, I want to go through the TV, and they're like, well, that's your truth. I'm like, no, truth is truth. It's not a moving target. It's black and white. So we're, we're surrounded by this culture that doesn't believe in truth, and it's important for us to understand that there is such thing as absolute truth. There are things that are clearly right and clearly wrong. I want us to go to Romans chapter 1 and look at this verse. In Romans chapter 1, these verses were written over 2,000 years ago, and I want you to see that not much has changed in 2,000 years, that we are not really any better off than we were 2000 years ago Romans chapter 1 verse 25 this is what Paul says he says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who is praised forever amen does that sound familiar that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped the created rather than the creator so we have to understand that we are in the middle of a battle we are in the middle of a battle for truth, and it's important that we win this battle on both fronts, both the air war and the ground war. I want us to look first at the ground war. Now, the ground war is, is what we've got to understand that sometimes in our lives, we produce lies. We produce lies, and usually those lies are in some way to benefit us. And what we have to understand is that when we produce lies, we worship and serve ourselves. When we produce lies, we worship and serve ourselves. You see, when, whenever we find ourselves in a situation where we're going to tell, maybe it's just a little white lie, or maybe it's just a misrepresentation of the truth, like we present the truth in a way that makes us look better than we do, or a withholding of the truth, usually that's to benefit ourselves. And what we do in that situation is we begin worshiping ourselves. What we say is, okay, God, you're up here, but in this moment, more important than the truth is, is me. And so I'm going to put myself up here. I'm going to be number one in my life. I'm going to be God of my life. And I don't know about you, but when I'm honest with myself, I make a lousy God. I make a lousy God. I don't want to be God of my life. And so it's important that I produce truth that truth be what come out of me, because when I don't, when I produce lies, I worship and serve myself. The second thing that I want us to see is that when we believe lies, th- that's the ground war. The air war is this. When we believe lies, we worship and serve false god. We worship and serve false gods, and that's exactly what happened in Romans. They were believing lies. They were being led astray to worship something other than the one true God. And I think for us as Christians, most of us would say, no, I worship God. I worship God alone. But do we really? Or do we have this picture of God that if we mess up, He's going to strike us down? Or do we have this picture of God that, that certain sins are not not that big of a deal to him anymore because our culture has changed. And so since culture has changed, then these sins must not be a big deal to God anymore. Or do we look at Scripture and do we say, this is what God's Word says, and you can ask any one of the kids in my family, and you start the sentence, you say, the Bible is, and they'll say God's Word and everything in it is true. Do we let Scripture dictate and determine what we believe about God? scripture is his word. He gets to say who he is, not us. But when we believe these lies about God, we worship and serve a false god. I want us to go to the Ten Commandments and see why this is so important. I want us, if you have your Bible, flip to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to see why the truth, especially when it comes to these two areas, is so important for us. The Ten Commandments, this is the the foundation of the Judeo-Christian ethic, starting in verse 2, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. So when I tell a lie, what do I do? I put myself in the position of God. I've just broken the first commandment. Let's keep going. Second commandment says, Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or the earth below or in the waters under under the earth. What's he saying? He's saying, don't worship false gods. Don't worship false gods. These are false images of God. Okay? So second commandment. He goes to understand the truth. Why is this important? He says, You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for their father's sin to the third and fourth generations for those who hate me. Truth is so important for God. He says that I will punish to the third and fourth generations. Now we know elsewhere in Scripture, God says that, parent, that kids are not supposed to be punished for their parents' sin. But here's what I think he's talking about. He's saying what happens is you pass that sin on to your kids. When you tell them things like, oh, that lightning outside, if you're not good, God's going to strike you. Or you tell them little, little small things that common wives' tales that we believe about God or that we just say about God in passing. What we're doing is we're passing on a false image of God. And our kids start to believe those things. And then they follow in our examples. And they end up worshiping a false God rather than the true God of Scripture And God says that 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 is a generational thing. That the image of God that we pass on to our kids, they are going to follow. But then what I love is this. God goes on in the very next verse and he says, But I show faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Show faithful love to a thousand generations for those who love and keep my commands. And I love the word there for faithful love is the Hebrew word found throughout the Old Testament, chesed. And it just means a love that continues giving. God is giving and giving and giving and giving his love. So the big principle that we need to take away from this is that when we walk in truth, we love God and we keep his commandments. When we walk in truth, or we walk in truth when we love God and keep his commandments. So we must love God and keep his commandments. And as we do, then we find ourselves walking in truth. We find ourselves walking in truth. So one of the ways that, this, that I've thought of recently that, that it kind of affects us, this little lie that we might believe about God, I think is very common. It's very common, especially for people who are looking from the outside at Christianity or who are new to Christianity. You see, there's a lot of people who believe that Christianity, that being a follower of Jesus is a faith of abstinence. That there's this whole long list of stuff that we can't do. And that being a follower of Jesus means that I'm going to miss out on time with my friends. I'm going to miss out on enjoying some of the things that I enjoy. I'm going to miss out on some of the pleasures of this life. But nothing could be further than truth. Christianity is not a faith of abstinence, but of abundance. In John 10, Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's talking about Satan. But I have come that you may have life and may have it abundantly. You see, Satan comes, and in John 8, Jesus reminds the Pharisees, he says, hey, you are of your father the devil, who was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And when he speaks, he speaks his native tongue because he is a, a liar. Satan only speaks in lies, and so what he does is he comes and he speaks to us in these lies, and he tries to pull us away. He tries to pull us away so that we would believe the lies. We know that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And a very good friend of mine would always say that he wants to steal our joy, kill our relationships, and destroy our trust in God. He wants to steal our joy, kill our relationships, and destroy our trust in God. And we see this in a number of different ways. We have to understand that that Jesus is the one who gives abundantly. Jesus is the one who gives. He gives us new life. He gives us eternal life. He gives us new purpose. He gives us new family. He gives us spiritual gifts. He gives and gives and gives and gives. Who is the one who's the taker? Satan. Satan is the taker. God is a giving God. He gives us things that are far better than anything that we could consider a loss. And so that's just one way that we see this happening in our lives. So uh, every once in a while I, I find books on uh, different topics, and I read, I read a lot of stuff on, on Christian things and um, preparing for series, but I love every once in a while when I get to read a good leadership book. And uh, I read one, I started reading one, I should say. My, anybody else have this problem? You read like five books at a time, and then you can't remember which book it was in that you were reading. Anybody else do that? Just me? Okay, so there's one by a man named Jacko Willings who is a Navy SEAL. It's a book called Extreme Ownership. And what he's done is he's taking these proven principles from the battlefield and he's applied them to the business world and to to leadership in the regular world. And one of the first things that he talks about is the importance of gathering information on the front end. Like you have to have intel on the front end. And he talks about how as a Navy SEAL, you don't always know what's on the other side of that door that you're kicking in. But if you know how your enemy thinks, if you know how your enemy behaves, then you have a leg up, that you are well prepared. And so to apply that to the business world and to apply it to us as Christians, we would be foolish if we didn't know our enemy. If we didn't know how our enemy thinks and how he behaves. And that's the second thing that I want us to look at. That's the what. The what is, what do we need to be aware of? What do we need to be aware of? And I want us to, to understand a few things about our enemy. If we can, go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. We read there, Be sober. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. We understand that our enemy is extremely, extremely sinister. He is ex- we have to understand that the battle is real. The battle that we face is real. The enemy is sinister and we are susceptible. The battle is real, the enemy is sinister, and we are susceptible. Jesus reminds us again in John 8, 44 that Satan is the father of lies, that he has been a liar from the very beginning. And what he does is he comes in and he finds a little bit of truth and he twists it so that we begin to believe this lie that God doesn't care that God's not there with us, or we believe this lie that if we mess up, even as followers of Jesus, that somehow God loves us less. And He plants that seed of doubt in us. And His tactics haven't changed. We have to understand that He has been revealed to be a liar. I want to take us to two passages very quickly this morning to see that. And the first is Genesis chapter 3. I'm really going to challenge you guys to take these passages and look at them on your own. In Genesis chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. And in Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall of man. Satan appears to Eve in the form of a certain, and he comes, serpent, and he comes to her and he says, hey, did God really say? Did God really say that if you eat that fruit that you would die? And he takes God's word, what he did say, and he twists it a little bit. He plants that seed of doubt in her. That, and then he, he plays on her pride and says, hey, if you eat that You'll be just like God, knowing good and evil. And so he leads her, tempts her into sin, and she eats and she falls into sin, and we know the consequences. He takes just a little bit of truth, and he twists it and turns it into a lie, and he gets Eve to believe something that's not true about God and something that's not true about herself. And he leads her into sin. Matthew chapter 4, his tactics haven't changed. After Jesus is baptized, he's taken away into the desert for 40 days where he fasts for 40 days. And at the end of his time of fasting, Satan appears to him and begins to tempt him. And he he tempts him the first time and says, hey, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus replies with Scripture, he says, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And then in the second temptation, Satan takes him up to the highest point, on the temple, and he says, "Throw yourself down from here, for Scripture says." And he quotes from Psalm ninety-one, and he says this. He's actually quoting Psalm ninety-one, uh, which talks about how the angels. He has commanded the angels not to let your foot strike the rock. But listen to what Jesus says. He he responds again with Scripture in context, whereas Satan has taken the word of God out of context. Jesus uses it in context. And he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now what's interesting about Satan's use of Psalm 91 is that verses 11 and 12 is where he quotes from. And he says, for for he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Now listen to the very next verse. Listen to the very next verse. You will tread on the lion and the cobra and you will trample the young lion and the serpent. And what do we know about Satan? He prowls around like a roaring what? And how did he appear to Eve in the form of a serpent? And what does that verse say? The very next verse says you will crush, you will trample the lion and the cobra. The very passage that Satan used to try to tempt Jesus, the cure for that is underneath, right underneath. And that's exactly what Satan does. He comes to us and he gets us to look at a verse out of context and believe something that's not true about God. He gets us to read passages in the Old Testament and, and leads people to think that God is this angry, hateful, spiteful God. When that is not the case at all. When we look at the New Testament and we see God's faithful love to those who love him. He gets us to believe that we can earn our way to heaven if we could just be good enough. He leads us to look at the Old Testament and say, well, here's this set of laws, and if I could just keep this, then God will love me. When the reality is, none of us could keep that perfectly, which is exactly why Jesus came. It's exactly why Jesus came, is so that he could fulfill the law, and so that through his death and resurrection, our sin could be paid for, that we could put our trust in him, trusting that he did the work that we could never do. And that when we trust in Him, God, God does call us into a life of obedience, yet we recognize that none of us will be perfect in that. We're still going to make mistakes, yet God does not love us any less. Yet there are lies that the enemy wants us to believe that would pull us away from God. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We have to not only understand God's word and what God is calling us to do, I think it's important that we understand our enemy and how he works. Because he wants to draw us away from our relationship with God. He wants to be the taker. He wants to be the taker. So we have to understand his ways. So then how do we walk in truth? How do we walk in truth? This is the last thing that I want us to see. And there's really just kind of four practical ways that we walk in truth. And the first is that we have to be guided by the Holy Spirit. We have to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit has a number of different roles that we read about in Scripture, but one of the roles that we read about is guidance, that He is to, to guide us. He's our counselor. See, the Word of God is a wonderful, beautiful thing, and it gives us lots of principles that we can live by, but what it doesn't do is tell us, hey, in this conversation, say these words. When you get to this point in your life and you're at a fork in the road, go right or go left. It doesn't tell us those things, and that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Let me ask this. Is the word of God important? You guys you want to say it like you believe it? Yeah. All, right. All right. Is the word of God important? Yes, sir. Is the Holy Spirit important? Yes. yes, but they work in tandem. They work together. We have to have both. We have to have the Word of God so that we know what is true. And we have to have the Holy Spirit so that as we're walking throughout our day, we can discern those little bitty gray areas. Because yes, while Scripture is black and white, we live in the gray. And it's the Holy Spirit that helps us navigate that gray area in a way that we can continue to honor God. And let me tell you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are are way outgunned. You are way outgunned. And let's just be honest, if you are here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You have no way of discerning the truth. You have no way of discerning the schemes of the enemy. And I don't want that to discourage you because here's how this works. When you come to a point in your life where you recognize that you have sin in your life and that sin has created separation in in relationship between you and God, and you acknowledge that sin and say, I understand that I have this sin and there is nothing I can do about it. My sin is so great, there's no way I could make up for it. And you repent of your sin and you say, I'm going to turn, I'm going to stop trying to earn God's favor and I'm going to turn and place my trust on Jesus Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sins. What happens is in that moment, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. God lives inside of you. And he acts as a guide. In that moment, he helps you understand more and more what it looks like to turn away from sin and continue to follow him that you could walk in truth. And you receive the forgiveness of your sins and eternal salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as repenting of your sin, understanding that you cannot save yourself, putting your trust in Christ and Christ alone. And that Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you I can remember when Amanda and I left Dallas about six years ago, we had to sell our house. And one of the things that I was most scared of uh, was the seller's disclosure document. Is anybody, you guys familiar with that? Right? So when you sell your house, you have to fill out this disclosure document and basically tell them everything that's wrong with your house. And I thought, man, (laughs) they're not going to want the house after this. But thankfully the house sold and we ended up moving down here. But that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. He discloses to us. God's truths. So the first thing that we have to understand and how do we walk in truth, we have to rely on the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that's where the second one comes in, which is we have to walk in humility. We started with humility last week. And the reality is this, if you don't have humility, you will never come to a point where you say, I cannot do this on my own. I have to rely on the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the lies that Satan wants you to believe is that you can do this on your own, that you're fine without God that you can do it in your own strength. But it takes humility to acknowledge how jacked up we are. And I already said earlier, I don't want to be God in my life. I am not a good God. I need something else. I need His presence. I need to depend on the Holy Spirit. The third one is that we have to look to Scripture. We have to saturate ourselves in Scripture daily. We saturate ourselves in Scripture daily. As we walk in humility, as we depend on the Holy Spirit, we have to saturate ourselves in Scripture daily. And I love the book of Psalms. It starts this way in Psalm 1. How happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not survive the judgment, and sinners will not be in the community of the righteousness. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. We see very clearly as the Psalms start, we see the importance of being saturated in the Word of God. It talks about meditating on the Word of God. And I don't know about you, but recently I've been reading through Scripture. My goal has been to read through the entire Bible in six months. Uh, and I'm getting ready this summer when I'm finished with this in June. My goal is to try to do it again in three months because I want to be saturated in Scripture. But I'll be honest with you, one of the things that's happened in my life is as I'm reading these big chunks of Scripture, it's kind of like just do it to get it done. And I'm not always hearing the voice of God the way that I, that I have been and that I, that I know that I need to. And so what I've done is I've I've decided to go slowly through one of the Gospels. And I'm working my way very slowly through the Gospel of Mark. And I can tell you that there are some days when I open the Gospel of Mark, after I've done my, my big section of reading, I open the Gospel of Mark, I read one verse, and I am on the floor. And that verse sticks with me throughout the whole day. I can't get out of my head. I'm thinking about it when I wake up the next morning. I'm thinking about it when I go to bed. I'm trying to understand what it means. I'm praying through that verse. I'm praying through whatever that little passage is. You don't have to read big chunks of scripture to be in the word of God, to be saturated in the word of God, to meditate on it. The way I've heard it before, another way is to think about marinating. You think about a piece of meat that you would marinate. And how it changes the texture of the meat. It changes the flavor of the meat. And that's what happens when we begin to meditate on the word of God. It changes our texture on the inside. What was once coarse becomes smooth. What was once rough and ugly becomes beautiful as we, we are transformed to the image and likeness of Christ. We must saturate ourselves in the word of God daily. And if you're here this morning and that thought seems overwhelming to you, you're saying, I have no idea how to, how to even go about studying my scripture. I have no idea how to go about starting to read the Bible. Let me tell you, there are staff members, elders, and small group shepherds who would love to walk through that with you. If you'll just write something on your connection card that says, I want help with having a quiet time. I want help with how to study the Bible. We would love for you to learn that and be able to do that on your own. We have to saturate ourselves in the Word of God. And the last thing I want us to see and how how do we walk in truth, how do we walk in truth? We have to belong and live in God's kingdom community on earth that is the church. We We have to belong to and live in God's kingdom community on earth that is the church. You see, as we listen to the Holy Spirit, as we walk in humility and as we read God's Word, we have to understand that God did not place us on this earth Provide us with salvation just for us to try to walk through this alone. He's placed people around us who are also listening to the Holy Spirit, walking in humility, saturating themselves in the Word of God so that we can support one another, that we can come alongside one another. And I can't tell you how many times I have needed the elder board, the other staff members, or the members of my small group to look at me scratching their heads saying, what are you so anxious about? Like, I don't get it. You know what God's word says. Like, where would you? why would you believe this about yourself? Why would you believe this about that person when you know what God's word says? Let us point you, let us direct you back to the truth of God's word. Let us pray along with you that this lie that Satan has planted in your head, that God's not using you, that God can't use you, that God doesn't want to use you, that your sin is too great for God to be able to use you, let us walk with you, pray with you, be beside you and fight alongside of you, that God would remove that and replace it with truth. And I know if I need that, man, I know that we all need that. We all need those people in our lives who are walking with us. That's why it's so important that we not give up meeting together because there may be a time on a Sunday morning when you walk in and you're downcast. And let me tell you, I'll say it again, River Rock is a place where it is okay to not be okay. When someone says, how's it going? I hope we never hear people say, I'm okay, I'm good. No, we want to know, how is it going? Where are you struggling? Where are you winning? How can we support one another? And this is why we believe so much in small groups because you get to know 10 to 12 other people who can tell when you're walking through something and they can be there praying with you, fighting that air war, fighting that ground war right alongside of you. I want us to look at a few other passages in scripture as we finish this morning. I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I want us to close with these verses. starting in verse 19. The Apostle Paul says this, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, who the whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You are also being built together as God's dwelling in the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 3, Verses 7 through 11. He says, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all, all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles incalculable riches of the Messiah and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who, who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may be known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heaven. This, according to his eternal purpose, accomplished in the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. God has put us together as a church family for a purpose. We have to help each other walk in truth, to come alongside of each other. And as we do that, the manifold wisdom of God, what is, what is currently a mystery to those who are without Jesus Christ, is made plain and made clear to them Scripture tells us that those who are without Christ are veiled. They are veiled to the truth. Yet when we walk together, when we walk in truth as individuals, and then as we walk in truth together, that veil is lifted and they begin to see the truth. So why is truth important? Why is truth important? Because God is jealous for you. He wants to shower you in his loving kindness. What do we need to know? We need to know that the battle is real. The enemy is sinister and we are susceptible to both telling lies and believing lies. And how? How do we walk in truth? We depend on the Holy Spirit as our guide. We walk in humility. We soak in God's word daily. And we do life with others who are fighting the same fight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. God, we thank you that you make yourself known to us and that you allow us the gift of the Holy Spirit that in those moments where your word may have a principle but not direct guidance in a situation, Father, that your Holy Spirit speaks to us. And Lord, we thank you that through your Son, Jesus Christ, God, we are given a new identity. And I pray that each of us this morning would understand more fully that identity and that calling for us to walk in truth as those who have been saved. Father, would you help us to be people who are listening to your Holy Spirit, who are walking humbly, who are saturating ourselves in your word daily, and who are doing life together so that the world would come to see the truth and place their trust in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.